Welcome to Candela. I'm Christopher Hooten. Today, my co-host Alan Schaller and I are joined by Matt Stewart. A photographer with an incredible eye for fleeting moments on the street, Matt's been exhibited across the world and his work sits in the Museum of London's permanent collection. We talk about his philosophy on photography and hone in on some of his more extreme projects, including his coverage of the 2017 Las Vegas shooting. We hope you enjoy the episode, and be sure to let us know what you make of it on Instagram, where we're at Candela Podcast. Right, let's do this. Matt Stewart. Hello, Matt Stewart. Hello, Alan Schaller. So, let's get right into it. How did you come up with the name Candela? Go on, Chris. I don't know, was it you or me that came up with that one? I'm going to go with, it was a mutual decision. Okay, yeah, let's go with that. No, no, it was you. Yeah, well, I guess because we wanted to do, you know, photography and cinematography together. And we were like, we always talk about how everything just comes back to lighting a lot of the time, photography and cinematography. So we thought a candela is the base unit of light. So we thought it kind of made sense. A candela is the base unit of light. Mm. Fantastic. Thank you for enlightening me. First guest who's just gone and turned it around on us. That's nice. Uh, I like that. I like that. That's the Matt vibe. So go on, Matt. Give us an insight into your life and how you got into photography and why you do what you do. So I'm 45 years old, born in London, lived in London for 45 years. And this year I moved to the Netherlands, mainly uh, as a result of Brexit and Boris. Um, mm. So that has been um, has been fun, been interesting. I uh, used to be a skateboarder, I skateboarded for eight or nine years, uh, became sponsored, was never pro, and uh, then stopped skateboarding. Um, and due to photography, being photographed skateboarding, I got into photography. It's a big link, isn't there, between photography and skateboarding? It's always been, people have been going around shooting people just like in empty pools, like knocking around in them. It's interesting. They're both moment-based. You have to live in the moment doing both of them. Yeah, man. It's true. Absolutely. You can't start thinking about the shopping when you're halfway through a skateboard trick and you can't start thinking about the shopping when you're halfway through a photograph. And so being totally present with both is absolutely essential and they're linked. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I, I used to do music and I think that they're totally different in every way. It sounds like you found something that was actually made sense in a logical way. Whereas I found photography was wonderful because it was quite a spontaneous, quick thing, whereas music is not. Music is generally, well, when you're beginning, you have to sort of adhere to the instructions. Yeah. And then you get good and then you can let yourself go a bit. So, so, so with your, let's talk about the beginnings then of photography. When, when did you first pick up a camera with, with intent I was probably about 18 and I was given a Nikon F601 by my granddad who saved up lots of money um, to give me the Nikon F601 and I uh, was extremely pleased with it for about a week uh, and I, uh, I I took it to Par- I took it to I took it to Paris to uh, go on the sort of Henri Cartier Bresson pilgrimage and um, I was um, you know walking past some cathedral and there was this uh, homeless um, Romanian lady with a child, and they were both sleeping at the cathedral steps. And uh, it looked like the kind of photograph that I was supposed to take. And so I creep, <laughs> crept up to them with my Nikon F601, and I pressed the button on it, and it went clunk, clunk, and woke them both up. And I thought, this is not the camera for me. <laughs> so... Um, 
then, but I had the Nikon F601. I was very pleased with it. And then from that point onwards, all I wanted was a uh, Leica because all good photographs are taken on Leicas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This episode is <laughs> <laughs> uh, No, and so and that they do have quiet shutters though. They have quiet shutters, and I just felt so bad for waking up um, a, a mother and, and child from their slumber, um, and uh, and so from that point onwards, the goal was to get a Leica camera. Uh, yeah. So anyway, that's well, you achieved that. There, we, there we go. Yes, definitely got the Leica cameras now. So yes, from the age of eighteen, um, sort of dilly dallied with it. But I think when I was about twenty three, I really got into it, and I'm a, an extreme obsessive. Um, and so I, when I got, get into something, and this I think came from the skateboarding because skateboarding is repetition based, um, and you try and try and try and try and try and try and try, uh, but most times when you try, you actually hurt yourself. So it's even more than sort of photography trying. Yeah. Every time you try, you hit yourself in the shins. Ah! And so mm. you're completely set up to be a photographer because it doesn't hurt as much. I mean, physically, obviously, mentally, it completely is extremely painful most of the time. Yeah. Amen. Would you go out and, you know, put, put in a shift on the streets, you know, go out just and for the day shooting and wondering about and seeing what you see? Or Yeah, I'd, I'd do that for eight hours a day for about 20 years. <laughs> so you're yeah so you're a proper street pounder rather than because there are some people who carry the camera all the time there's some people who uh just go out on the weekends or when they feel inspired inverted commas mm -hmm. what's your approach uh, well i carry a camera with me the whole time and uh i it's almost like a disease you know i look at things the whole time and i need to press a button to put them in a black box and bring them home with me so i do that i do, I do that i do that i do that i do that a lot i do it every day and um uh, i've got past being upset for missing things now so mm. i don't actually mind too much of whether the photograph is good or not it's whether the experience that i have is or was interesting so can you tell me about a time when you, maybe when you were younger, do you remember anything that stuck out when you missed a shot and it bummed you out? Oh, yeah. I mean, I would, um, well, there's obviously the the not having the confidence to take a picture of a person that um, uh, we all have had at some stage. And um, I definitely had a, a photograph that was a sort of defining moment uh, and it was um, taken on the tube. Uh, it wasn't actually a particularly great picture, but it was a picture that I had to take. It was about half past 10 at night. It was on the Northern Line going towards South London. And I saw a man uh, who was a lot bigger than me um, waving a woman's hand around uh, in the air on the platform. It wasn't a real woman's hand, thankfully, um, <laughs> but he was waving a woman's hand around. That's a good one. <laughs> and it looked um, extremely bizarre. And most of the passengers on the platform thought this looks too bizarre for me to um, want to sit on the same carriage with this man, you know. But obviously as a photographer and, you know, interested in the surreal and the strange, the man waving the hand was exciting. And I thought, talking like a mannequin hand? It's a mannequin yeah. hand, yeah. And so um, with red fingernails, mm. um, painted red fingernails, I was using black and white film at the time, uh, which was a shame because I, I think actually the picture would have worked had it been in colour because you would have seen the hand a little better. I mean, I'm going to disagree with that. Of course, of course. But we can colourise it. Yeah, that's right. There's an app for that. <laughs> Anyway, so I got on the um, 
empty carriage with this man going towards South London and he put the lady's hand inside his um, coat pocket and the hand stuck out from the um, from the, the pocket inside his jacket and he started reading the newspaper and it looked it was just it looked so surreal and I sat opposite him I set my camera to um, one and 1.3 meters it yeah. was you know 800 I pushed 400 8 to 800 2.8 at 60th because that was the light in the tube at the time and I turned the camera portrait because I knew it had to be portrait I took the first picture and, and then I thought it's probably going to be wobbly, so I'll take another one, took a second one. And on the third picture, he looked up and caught me taking his photograph. The carriage was completely empty and my heart stopped. And I said to him, I just love that hand inside your pocket. <laughs> and what did he say? He, he said, thanks a lot. And, okay, then carried, so and then he kept, just carried on reading his newspaper. And all of my greatest fears of photographing people in public places had been sort of completely, um, had disappeared. I'd gone to the, this guy could kill me point, which is obviously the worst case scenario. Um, mm. And um, I'd gone through it. Do you feel like people these days, uh, there are loads more cameras around. Do you feel like they're more relaxed with the camera around in your experience or more protective of their own? I think they are as relaxed as you are. Good answer. It's so true. You think? I, I, I'm, I'm just thinking because, you know, when a, in the analogue days when a camera would come out, people would assume it would be for sort of more artistic stuff. Whereas I think now everyone, when people see a camera, they think I'm going to make me go viral on YouTube for doing something wrong. No, I, th I think basically if you... If your intent is good, you generally give off a confidence and a sort of happiness about what you're doing that seems not too aggressive. It doesn't seem like you're going to be doing anything. And people think, oh, this guy's just a, you know, bloke who likes taking pictures, no problem. If you're, you know, sneaking it from your hip, you know, yeah. uh, and with the sort of secret spy kind of filter, uh, you generally give off that vibe and people think, well, who the hell is this? He's dodgy. Uh, and they tell you to bugger off. But if you, if you, I mean, I've seen Alan work. He's seen me work. We sort of skip along quite merrily. Um, wouldn't harm a fly, and, and consequently, no one, yeah. no one gives a gives a damn. Mm. It's all about. It's in the same way that uh, not to call people dogs, but dogs can sense your mood. So if if a situation become if the owner of a dog becomes anxious, the dog will respond to that, and people can pick it. If you're giving off a guilty vibe, <laughs> people can sense it almost immediately, and then you'll find them staring at you and then yeah it's it's a huge difference if you feel totally at ease and like you're not doing anything wrong which you're not by taking pictures then yeah people generally give that back yeah maybe you should just dress really flamboyantly so it's very clear that you're not in any way clandestine that's what alan does that's what i do <laughs> That's, that's what I do. The paisley, that's where it's come from. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, people, they don't see the lens. They just see the ridiculous pocket square that's like orange. Mm. And they go, what? No, I'm joking. I, I don't normally do social that. Social camouflage. Paisley is the social camouflage. Yeah, that's a whole new episode. That's a whole other subject. We could do a whole podcast on that topic. So we, I've got your book here, All That Life Can Afford. Yes. Which many people, you're going to blush, treat as a as a bit of a street photo bible quite mm. a lot of photographers and i remember seeing it when i picked up a camera and thinking oh this is very clever 
a lot of the shots. And so that's clearly, I, I, I associate that with your style. Um, at what point did you go from, because you're doing your skateboarding, you're going out, you're shooting. When did this look start to materialize and you feel like you had your own vision? And Because that book's obviously so coherently put together. Well, I never really... I mean, sorry, probably worth you outlining what you see your style as being as well. And if you describe it to people... I think style is generally a reflection of your personality most of the time. It's, you know, it is who you are. Uh, we spend a lot of time trying to be other people, especially when we start out. We want to be Henri Cartier-Bresson. Uh, uh, I still do. The amount he's been name-checked on this podcast, <laughs> we're only into like episode five or whatever, and he's already come up so many times. Is, uh... But yeah, I think there's a point where you sort of, you do realise that... Um, uh, you have to be yourself and you've gone through the mimicry and you've, you know, tried to do things that other people have done. And then it sort of comes out in the wash almost. And you just go, Oh, well, that's me pretty much. I'm, uh, I'm not, you know, dark and brooding. So sue me. Um, I'm, uh, reasonably, um, uh, handsome. Mm. <laughs> Definitely. It's a, luxury, it's a luxury of audio. You can just say that. I know. Just, yeah. I just wanted to say it, say it to see Alan's face. Yeah, which was a nod, a nod of approval and kind of a look of, of course. Yes, no. Course. Well, as a, as a seven foot tall man with Native American bone structure, I can. Yeah. yeah like... <laughs> no, I've got a face for radio, um, but no, I think um, your personality generally comes through uh, in the work after a while, uh, and you you stop uh, trying to pretend to be other people. So uh, after a certain amount of time and a certain amount of, you know, uh, pressing the button and looking at and seeing what you get back, you start to distill it and you take away those, you know, puddle jumpers and um, start to realise that you're this particular person or that particular person and you, this is you. I like humour. I like wit. I'm reasonably political. I quite like to um, use things that can be a little bit uh, sort of, um, what's the word? divisive there we go uh it, that wasn't the word i was looking for but i'll take it and um so yeah that's the type of thing i i, I, I like i'm i'm interested i like to express myself photographically yeah so how do i phrase this have you do you still feel like you're the same photographer as when you were shooting that book do or do you do you feel like you've you've shot different things or is your life taking you different places and you've kind of shut the door on that style or that way of thinking? Or do you feel mm. like it's just a, a constant kind of flow of, of work that's it, come out of you? Uh, it's a lot less to do with the photography mm. um, at the moment, nowadays. I actually prefer the experience that um, I like taking the camera to something and getting access to something through the camera. But whether I get great pictures from the camera or not is secondary to the experience that I have mm. and the learning that I have about a place, about a situation. Um, you know, I've, over the last uh, four or five years, I've been to, um, you know, I was at Trump's inauguration because I wanted to know what that was like. Mm -hmm. uh, I went, I've been on pretty much most of the women's marches, uh, significant women's marches in America. Um, I've been to, I was at the Muslim ban in Los Angeles. I went to two mass shootings. Um, in order to know how it felt emotionally uh, and to uh, broaden my emotional spectrum. It's a great, like, photography is such a great excuse to put yourself in interesting places in a way that few other things, you know, there's not a call for a poet in these situations, but there's always, you know, a need for a, for someone there to be capturing it. So it's, it's great. Well, potentially there is a, a, yeah. <laughs> a need for a poet to be in some of these situations and it, and it would be quite interesting for a poet to be there. But um, 
I do think um, that also being a photographer, I am a photographer. It's not, I'm not just a tourist. I'm not just some sicko who wants to go to mass shootings to look at mass shootings and see how it feels. I, I am also doing something which um, no. uh, shows the uh, devastation, emotion that um, happens during these situations. So uh, I've enjoyed sort of, I guess, spreading my wings a bit and um, focusing less on uh, London and, and sort of having more of a world view. I think I'd be interested to hear you talk about some of those things more because most of the photographers you've spoken to so far are more just street-based, but it'd be interesting to hear about some of those mass shootings and whether are they ones where you were commissioned to go out to it or you kind of went out there and then saw what you could get? No, so my philosophy with um, photography and working as a photographer is you uh, don't wait by the telephone Mm. to have someone tell you to go somewhere. You go somewhere and then someone might phone you up and say, you're there, can Mm. you do something for us? So for instance, I was in Chicago working, doing a Leica workshop um, when the uh, Las Vegas mass shooting happened. And I thought, you know, the workshop had just finished. I thought, right, I'm going to go uh, straight to Las Vegas. And I got on a plane, took about four hours or so to get to Las Vegas, got off the plane. Um, And during that time, I had at the the time I was uh, with Magnum and um, I'd spoken to the office saying, I'm going to go to Las Vegas. Um, And during the time in the air, uh, Time magazine put me on assignment. So I landed in Las Vegas, got message saying you know time and mm. paying for your hotel you're going to be put in the mandalay bay hotel which is the hotel which yeah, the shooter yeah. shot from mm. um you know get on with it and did you make that decision you literally you know you got the notification on your phone about what happened and you immediately went I'm yeah go there yeah. yeah you have to i think you with a lot anyway, of these things anyway, you're gonna miss something so yeah well, i was just you know be spontaneous do mm. don't uh and so, i'm spontaneous i'm uh slightly reckless um but i do things on impulse and that's kind of what we're trained to do as photographers you don't start thinking about whether you should or shouldn't do it and then think about it later uh is my philosophy and so with this particular situation I thought I'm going to go I'm going to see what happens uh, I don't care if someone's going to pay me or not I'm going to go to see what it's like and I'm going to take the best pictures I can but by the time I got there I had to um you know, I landed at the airport and there was a vigil um that night um it was the day after I went straight to the vigil with my suitcase and took pictures of the vigil there and then thing is with mass shootings it sounds quite cold to say it but the emotional intensity uh, visually uh, dies down reasonably Mm. quickly um because you know for four or five days people are absolutely you know uh, really distraught and they think people get together and they try to um you know be a community but then that can't carry on Uh, and so uh, talking very in a a very cold sort of way you know visually you need to Absolutely, get there and start working straight away because uh, that's where the the strongest pictures are. Yeah, is it even in in a wider sense that's the case? I think a lot, often a lot more these days. In fact, talking about that Vegas mass shooting, is a podcaster Sam Harris talks about this um, a lot. How that was, I think it was one of the, if not the biggest mass shooting in history. Yeah, and obviously it was you know all over the twenty four hour news channels when it happened, and then within forty eight hours. Every, it just kind of weirdly disappeared. And now you don't hear it spoken that much, even though in the, you know, awful history of mass shootings, it was so big. And it's it's weird how something like that could just kind of be erased. Maybe, I don't know. Part well, of it was de- it it's definitely to do with the territory. Las Vegas is basically a, a showbiz town. And this was a, uh, a concert that mm. um, lots of tourists had come to. And so people from all over the world were exposed to it. And, and so- I guess the lack of like political seemingly lack of like a obvious kind of political war motive it meant that people couldn't 
latch onto it and write a load of think pieces about it. It was just this kind of weird aberration. Well, they, because he was uh, on on paper, the you know he left no trail as to as to why mm. um, he. You know, he bought the guns in over a certain amount of time to that hotel room. He was a millionaire, multi-millionaire, he had shitloads of money. Uh, and so no one really, he had, no, there was no motive apart from obviously to cause mass destruction. Uh, and so he was, it, there were a lot of think pieces about the, the, the fact that there was the nothing one, to yeah. sort of latch onto. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, moving on from mass shootings. Yes. Where do you move on? We've lost Alan. Shoes. We've lost Alan. Come on, Alan. Yeah. No, I, I was just thinking about that shot that you did of all the chairs. That was a very clever way of doing it. Um, yes. Because that spoke more than... I think that maybe your street mind has clearly influenced that kind of... I don't think everyone would have taken that shot, necessarily. And it was picked up, wasn't it, as a... You, I think you got some sort of award off or, or well, accolade for... Time um, sort of recognised it as a significant yeah. uh, mass yeah. shooting photograph, which is not necessarily something that you want to really... No, uh, shout about, but but it was it was a, definitely one of the hardest hitting pictures I've seen. Yeah, and, when, you, and when you want to capture loss, you know... We How should, do you do yeah, it? Yeah, we should say, you know, this image is a lot of empty seats. You know, it's an interesting way of doing it rather than focusing on the people grieving. Or, exactly. Know, the yeah. And and I think I think that's where photography can be so powerful is, is it, it's kind of the photographer's decision of what to do, how to present things, and then you can influence people and make them think in a certain way. And yeah, I, I just think that was a very good example of that kind of thing. Mm, I, I mean, I was lucky because, um, you know, time put me in the place where the man uh, did this awful thing from. And so the viewpoint was over the, the ground. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I was also lucky because of my affiliation with Leica. I turned up and needed a, more than a, a rangefinder. You know, and I went straight there and said, you know, can I borrow a Leica SL with a 260 millimeter lens? Um, something that I wouldn't, you know, not usually carry, could not afford to buy. Mm. And they were absolutely, of course. And so um, I had the kind of kit that you really need in that All situation that kind of thing, very, yeah. very quickly. Mm. So these days, what's going on in, 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 in Matt Stewart photography? <laughs> Matt Stewart land. land. So I've been extremely busy. Um, I was in uh, China last year doing workshops. I went to Hong Kong, uh, experienced the um, unrest in Hong Kong, which is yeah, interesting. It's pretty unreal what, what's mm. going on out there. Absolutely. I wouldn't even know how to approach shooting that. Um, yes, it was, uh, again, it was, I almost, I timed it really well uh, and was there really at the climax of the um, university siege um, and spent a night uh, photographing, um, carefully photographing. It was quite an interesting thing because I wasn't on assignment um, and I didn't feel like it was really something I, I didn't want to expose anyone and a lot of the whole thing about the hong kong uh you know china issue is that there's people wearing masks and people who don't want to be mm. um seen to be they don't want to be caught doing what they were doing so um i was careful place to get caught i was a bit more careful i, I photographed less people and photographed more stuff um there and i found that interesting I also, in a, in a strange way, I, because I had nothing to do with it and I'd only just, I was only there for a day or two, I, I sort of felt like it wasn't really my, um, my sort of right to, to get too involved. Uh, and, um, but I, I was, again, I was a little bit reckless and I went to the front line, um, and thought, you know, I'm fine. I'm 
it's nothing to do with me, but I've got my helmet, I've got my mask, I've got my camera and started photographing reasonably confidently. And, and then uh, uh, something whizzed past my nose and I realised it was a plastic, plastic bullet. Um, <laughs> and suddenly I, I sort of, you know, like you sort of think, oh God, right, okay, yeah. Well, again, I really don't want to be shot for, for this either. Um, and so... Uh, <laughs> I, I think I, I tried to get home. But um, so, yeah, went to... Yeah, what am I actually doing here? What, 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 <laughs> yes. that, that, that'll wake you up, won't it, when you get hit with a blessing book yeah. or something like that. Well, no, not even hit by it. Just, just, yeah. just see it. Yeah, no, it really... See it someone really, else get hit by it. Really went, it really went close to my face. And I, I do remember thinking that was uh, probably time to uh, go home. But then um, uh, subsequently, I've been working on a book uh, that's going to be coming out uh, in the autumn this year uh, with Lawrence King, which is a sort of uh, a philosophy of um, photography and thinking about, um, you know, how we do it, why we do it, uh, the best way I approach it um, and approaching things with um, sort of a good attitude and uh, um, some of the stuff we've been talking about earlier, mm. really. So I've been doing a book with Lawrence King uh, on that subject, uh, which is hopefully going to be called The Art of Getting Lucky. Yeah, another book um, that I'm working on, which is a little bit more of a, a secret book at the moment, but it's a sort of uh, a compilation of current uh, photographers uh, in the field that are um, sort of at the top of their game. Nice. Yeah. So let's let's, let's talk about luck as a as a thing. Uh, who was it who said it's all luck, really? I think that was Carte Bresson. Uh, it's it's actually all hard work. Uh, I've come to the conclusion there's no yeah. such, in my opinion, and this is my strong opinion. There's no such thing as talent. Uh, I think talent is a very useful um, phrase that people hide behind to hide the amount of hard work that they've actually put in. Mm -hmm. And so you do a lot of hard work and in doing the hard work, you expose yourself more often to luck. And then because of the luck, you continue on your journey um, of hard work, but you get um, sort of access to different um, which can make you more lucky levels see, yeah. yes and so um, as you continue up your uh, hard working non-talented <laughs> but lucky ladder uh, yeah. you're exposed to more luck it's interesting because uh, I, I remember watching a, an interview with a footballer Cristiano Ronaldo who said um, that in his opinion it was talent and he said like it's 80% talent and 20% work in their field Oh, right. fuck Christian, I know Ronaldo. <laughs> no, 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 but he clearly, he clearly knows what he's doing. Well, he, well I, think he, I think, I think, the, I think, I think one of the things that, that, um, so photographically, I think it's hard work and, you know, oh, he's got such a great eye, all that stuff. I think it's a, quite a lot of bollocks. But sport, um, with sport, yeah. if you are physically talented, i.e. you are born like Usain Bolt, yeah. um, you do have uh, a, an advantage in your, you know, size or, or um, you know, mm. how far you, your stride goes. And so that uh, I would put down to luck as well. But yeah, I, I, I'm actually in 100% agreement with you about the talent thing. Uh, people say to me, you know, oh, you're 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 very talented, whatever. So and and it's very nice to you know, say thank you very much. But yeah, I I, I think we we you, spoke about this in our very first episode, didn't we? How you know you yeah. spent a lot of time pounding the streets out there. And yeah, that's what it's, it's just it's just it's just thousands of failed shots. I, and I, then, yeah, I agree. And then, that, and then yeah. a few that are good. <laughs> and, then, and, and then understanding why they failed, and they're yes. not failing at them the next time they come round. The thing I, I find the most annoying is if I'm if I'm teaching someone or when they delete pictures, 
I think like that's the worst thing you can do because you, you don't learn off the good ones. The, the good no. ones are already done. And this is and the thing that the good ones, the good ones, you just, what do you do? You sort of, you parade them and you wave them above your head. Um, but you don't learn that much from them. Yeah. You don't learn as much from the good ones as you do the bad ones. The bad mm. ones are so important. Yes, they are. And, and, and then the, the difficult thing about having a good one is the temptation is then to just go out and shoot loads more like that. And it's it's uh, it's quite a thing to say. Uh, okay, like I, I used to shoot a lot of um, kind of close up, like kind of people's faces would define the images. And then I took this one shot of a lady on the tube, and I was like, I think that that is about as much as like I've kind of achieved that goal now. I was like, I'm done. I I, I think that's good enough. I'm going to try and think of something new to do now. Mm. Otherwise, I'm just going to end up trying to capture to re- to replicate this image my whole life. And, and yeah, I'm kind of reaching that point now with the whole kind of graphic and uh, high contrast stuff where I, I find like I'm churning it out and it's a bit like, okay. I'm, but the, but that, the, I think the thing is you, you have to do that um, and you, you have ups and downs with your work. But if you, there's definitely a point where you lull and you go, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm in cruise, I'm cruising, I'm cruising. Mm. Um and that can be a one week, that can be one month, that can be one year. Um, but there's a point that you have to work through that. And you mm. get through it and then you and then you suddenly get to the other side and you go, bloody hell, I've got to this. Um, and I've shot all those things that were similar over the last, mm. you know, whatever, but I've got through it. And I, I really, really think that a, po- a positive approach is extremely important um, because if you tell yourself that this is crap, it generally is. Um, and I used to go out on patrol. I used to call it going out on patrol. And I would go out to make sure nothing was happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, like a soldier. Like, oh, no, well, I've done eight hours today. Didn't see a fucking thing. You know, <laughs> everyone's safe. Everyone's safe. No drama. Um, and that's completely the wrong attitude to have. You have to go out, especially with the camera, thinking and believing that you are going to see photographs. And if you believe and think you are going to see photographs, you know what? You bloody well do. And... The approach, the mental approach is so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to be so mentally tough for all creative pursuits, really, as well. It's like, you know, I think J.K. Rowling got turned down at 12 publishers, you know, before she found somewhere for Harry Potter. I hope all those people got fired. <laughs> I hope so, too. Probably didn't. But, yeah, you know, a, a lot of people probably would have been gone around to six and then been like, oh, clearly it's a bit of a shit book, so I guess I'll just do something else now. Um, yeah. I also think the other thing with the hard work, and I totally agree as well, it's all just about hard work, is that I guess the why there's a disconnect with that perception is because it's often hidden as well because you especially thinking about like musicians and actors once people are established and they're on their big victory lap and they can choose their work people don't see the years when they were really fucking like chasing down everything you know DiCaprio at some point was there like really hustling to get work and get the right agent and stuff (laughs) but because then people don't see that they assume that it's all he just came through with this talent and everyone in the room was just wild and that was the end of it when actually Mm. it was Good old-fashioned hard work. Hard work, yeah. David Bailey said it the best. He said, um, I was watching one of his stand-up things on on the internet somewhere, and he said um, that his rise was described as a meteoric rise to fame. And he said, uh, I can't remember the exact expression, but he said it was like, yeah, meteoric in the sense of a a donkey dragging a meteor (laughs) up a cold hill (laughs) over years and years. Just like dragging this meteor up the hill. And getting to the point where everyone goes, oh, he's arrived. Yeah. Wow, what, what a rise to fame you've had. No, you definitely, it's, uh, you have to put in the, the legwork. I mean, um, Tiger Woods, for example, um, had done his 10,000 hours 
practice by the age of five. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's true. It's <laughs> and, true. and so, um, and then obviously you get called talented and then you get called, you know, if you're lucky, you get called a genius. Yeah. Um, uh, and isn't it funny that men get called geniuses and women don't? Mm. I think that's really off, isn't it? Mm. I think there's a shitload of absolutely legit female geniuses out there, but genius is almost a male term. Yeah. Genius is a weird term in general. I think it's. I try. I feel like I don't try and steer clear of it. it seems like. <laughs> I mean, that's the that's the well, ultimate. Actually, that's the actually, ultimate. He's talent. Well, he or I, she is talented. I would, say, I would say in the world of photography, the only genius is the person who invented the camera. <laughs> that's the real genius. <laughs> that is actually genius. Using. I mean, I, I can't think of many like. People say it very, very flippantly as well. Oh, people like, say, oh, I mean, this is the thing on Instagram. Everything's genius, isn't it, really? Yeah. And, and, and again, back to, um, again, back to practice, this is the thing that um, I think young photographers don't realise is that, you know, Instagram, you can be an influencer, you know, after five minutes if, you, you know, if you've got the right look or the right style or the mm. right blah, blah. With photography, it's very, very difficult to just jump in and go, you know, hi, I'm super interesting super talented yeah, super quick you, you can't you have to shoot the shit mm. yep you absolutely do have to shoot the shit i think i've i've, I've had a pretty rapid uh, entry into it and I, I think instagram has helped that a lot in like in the sense that i don't think like i just did like like yeah i know you do this as well but like you know you, you get a, a job somewhere in like australia or something that those kind of things have really helped me be able to carry on the photography and, and build it to the point it's at now. But that would never have happened without the exposure of of what online brings, and that you're kind of this open, it's open to potential to things outside of, of the city that you live in. Absolutely, I yeah. I mean, suddenly you, you're exposed to a worldwide audience, um, and you know, so vast, else. vast quantity of mm. of them. I still believe, though, that um, we're talking about this actually in the in the last uh, episode we did, which was Chris and I talking um, about how how important do you think it is to have a signature of your own and a kind of your own. I don't want to say the word brand, but your own kind of niche within which you work. This is the kind of stuff I try and get across to people: is is it's not about what camera you shoot or you know, how clever you put it's, it's about carving your own kind of thing. If you actually want to have a career at all hmm. in photography or any kind of art. Particularly in this era as well, where there's so much noise and such a saturated, you know, in terms of the amount of stuff there is out there, hmm. being able to carve a niche and own it is kind of everything. I generally try to keep um, my sort of professional, uh, i.e. money, uh, photography separate to my um, mm. for better word, you know, art photography. Mm. Uh, I have this idea of two blokes, um, one wearing a bowler hat and one wearing a beret. And the bowler hat bloke um, feeds the beret bloke. Yeah. Um, but without the beret bloke, quite frankly, you know, the, actually the bowler hat wouldn't exist either. Mm. You know, so my personal work gets me um, bowler hat work. Yeah, um, yeah. And, um, <laughs> and and so uh, I, I think it's uh, I think there's an interesting sort of dichotomy there. I, I do know that if I wear the bowler hat too much, I get really angsty, and if I wear the beret too much, I start to get feel very hungry. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I, th I think I approach it the same way. For me, the metaphor is like I imagine it like little life rafts, little pontoons, and you have to put out the next one in front of you that's going to enable you to survive. So then you can just 
fuck around on that pontoon making whatever you know you enjoy but yeah I, I quite like keeping it separate so when you're when you're earning money you're you're doing that and when you're creative it's, you're not compromising absolutely like, I'm going to just fully go into like what I believe in this so I'm, yeah. I'm quite weird I, I have the approach of when I'm working with people I, I try and steer it as off as much as I can for my own sanity to to my own style and I, I almost see it like I try and sell it to them like you know what if you want me to shoot don't make me shoot in color and of like sunsets because you know as damaging as it might be to me trying to get this pitch that I very much want mm. um you know I, I'm not the right person for it or someone else or like I could do it but why do you want me to do it yeah I think it's, and I, it's I've, I've lost out on things before from saying that but I'm trying to position myself in a way that my personal work and my commercial work kind of looks quite similar, but I don't know. I I I've, I've, I haven't been doing this for very long, and I, I don't know whether this is gonna. It's it's working out all right at the moment. I, I think you've got a good philosophy. I think um, the the key thing to all of this is happiness. If you're not happy doing one of these things or either of these things or that or this, mm. quite frankly, um, who are you kidding? You know, you know, it's ridiculous to be uh, doing anything that does not make you. Uh, feel good about getting up in the morning. So if you can do what you do and compromise it slightly by, you know, making a, a living um, and still enjoy it and still feel happy to do it uh, with a skip in your step, then, you know, soldier on. Mm. So, yeah, I, I've always maintained that philosophy, uh, photography is more of a philosophical and intellectual kind of pursuit more than, as in, yes, the time is out there shooting, but a lot of it is defined by figuring out well, this is going to sound very kind of. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. We can. This, we can. This, this we, is going we, to sound very kind of. We, we've got the air, we've got the air the air inverted com commas. Yes, it's uh, going to sound very uh, yeah like that. But should we pray? No, 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 should we but, pray? Should we pray? Yeah. Okay. Let's all hold hands. Hang on. Hang on. Right. Eyes closed. Go on. Say it. No, but the way that you evolve as a photographer isn't actually out. It, well, it's a mixture of being out there shooting and then also curating and reflecting on what you're doing and why you're doing it. And I think that that is. Well, I try and express to people mm. because it's not about just, I don't know. There's a, there's a saying that amateurs worry about gear, pros worry about money, and artists, inverted commas, worry about light. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think that it's possibly a mixture of all three. But yeah, the it's funny, isn't it? How I don't, I feel like to get myself to the next stage now. And to start a new series, it's not about just raw shooting and going out there and doing it. I actually have to think about it now and, and what I want to do and why I'm doing it. Well, I think one of the hardest things to do photographically is actually to put yourself in the picture. I think a lot of photographers love to show what they saw um, of other people or of other events or other, other things. But if you can actually show how you felt how you were, um, how it moved you uh, by bringing in, you know, yourself uh, visually, uh, mentally, um, you know, bringing in your family, uh, showing, you know, life, death, uh, how you feel about life and death. Uh, I mean, why are we doing this in the first place? I mean, it's proof that we existed. I mean, proof that, pr proof that we were here. I mean, surely that's, uh, you know, when we're at actually at the very end, we go, you know, I was here. Yeah, that's well, profound. I like that. <laughs> Thanks, for that Matt. I'm writing that down. In my next workshop, I'm opening. I'm opening with that. But um, 
Uh, moving on from <laughs> existential stuff. All right, let's all stop holding hands now. Yeah, okay, there we go. Okay. Um, so, Alan, um, what are you up to over the next few weeks? Well, am I up to? I'm uh, travelling around. I'm taking the photos. Yes. I'm doing a you, few... You're very prolific, I think. You take a lot of pictures reasonably, reasonably quickly and you're sort of, you, you're churning them out. On, yeah, I, I, mean, I, I, I actually have reason. an army of trained photographers. <laughs> mini Allens. Uh, mini Allens. Actually, they're a lot bigger than me, most of them. <laughs> um, but yeah, I send them out and they all collect stuff. And then there's this kind of Allen boss who curates, curates us all. And then I put it all out. I don't actually take any of the pictures. <laughs> Is it talking of algorithms? It was interesting. I was in Australia recently and I was speaking <laughs> to um, some very bright photographers. Uh, one of them made apps and he had come up with an algorithm where he could get the camera to photograph a group of people who were walking when all of their strides were mm. striding. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. yeah. So those striding pictures yeah. are on their way out because there's almost a machine that can oh, do that, it. Seriously, the algorithms are coming for, uh, coming for us all. There's already, you know, because I, I used to be mostly a journalist. I do less of that now, but like there's bots that can write pretty solid articles. Uh, <laughs> what? I'm sure what? they'll turn their A bot metallic... cannot watch a film and, and, <laughs> can and write analyze a script. it. I bet one day, I'm sure it's uh, possible. <laughs> no, so I'm doing that, but I'm doing. I'm doing. A, I'm also doing a couple of um, strange jobs that have come through, which uh, they're also different and unrelated, and all just totally like, okay, I'll do that. That sounds a bit odd, but yeah, sure, I'll give that a go. But that's the great on. thing about photography. You never. Every day is always different. You never know what's going to happen uh, from one day to the next, and you can get sort of pushed and pulled all over the place. Um, uh, if you allow if you allow yourself to be in a good way and a bad way um and you can you know one day you can wake up here and the next day you're on the other side of the planet doing something completely unrelated that you didn't even think you'd be doing mm. yeah it's definitely given me access to things that i would never th thought I, I would do yeah i mean i've i've worked for a private hospital in london and and witness surgery you know they weren't my best pictures but i was allowed to be in surgery and, and see that kind of stuff and, and it's it's a, a a real um yeah privilege uh and the only reason i was allowed to see that stuff was because i was carrying this stupid black box yeah no no same i i i did a um uh thing in a hospital in in jerusalem and i was in there watching them like do IVF like that like, actually create like I remember that was at this machine and she was like um do you want to press the button and I was like okay press the button she was like well there you go that's life that's, and then the cells on the screen start spawning and are these the mini and, are these the mini Allens mini Allens yeah I've been I've been yeah this is how I as, as story, the aforementioned yeah. this is how I create, create no, the box. but I was thinking I was standing there and it was probably one of the most mind-blowing things I've ever seen in my life like creation <laughs> yeah and i was just there like yeah. and I, in this like ridiculous green onesie thing that they made me wear with a hairnet and i was just there with this camera just like this is the only reason why they would let me in here at all absolutely no it's i think so weird i think that's the great thing about it is that, that you get to experience so many different things the access you have um is such a privilege uh, i do think it's the best job in the world if you it's not even a job you know it's a way of life indeed yeah screw you guys <laughs> yeah. So what, do you, what, do you, what do you do again? <laughs> <laughs> Stupid films. You don't just walk around with one box. There's to be 500 boxes. They have to stay in one place. <laughs>
and you got to take care of the boxes. Yeah, I, I, I just find it freaky when those pictures start like moving. Can I, I'm going <laughs> to just ask you some um, quick questions, and you have to answer really quickly. Okay. Um, three favorite films: uh, The Great Beauty, um, Kicking It Old School. I love a bit of Groundhog Day. Yeah. Harry um, Potter 1, 2, 3. Back to the Future 1, 2, 3. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, okay, good. And um, are you, do you read? Yes. Do you read? Not as much as I should. I actually feel incredibly guilty about it. Right. I don't I don't read hardly anything uh, as far as books are concerned, but I read the news every day. Well, this episode was also brought to you by... I have an Amazon Kindle. And since I started... It's not actually. It's a joke. Since, well, since, if you're out there, since, Amazon. Yeah, if you're out there, Amazon, <laughs> we're open to offers. Okay? <laughs> Um, <laughs> but you read a lot. You read, and I, you're, and you're a musician was, as well. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I read I read every night before bed, even if I'm totally hammered. I have to I have to read, just to. It's a good habit. Yeah, it's a really I, good yeah, habit. Whether I, it's like half a page or like fifty pages, uh, I I just feel like it's a nice thing to do. I guess I take in all my stuff through podcasts and audiobooks now, which is good. But I still feel like why you such a why don't you have the attention to just actually read the book not be like listening to a book while it has to be a good book it has to be a really good book mm-hmm. that's the thing if i if i don't enjoy it i will abandon yeah. it page page one like i'm really weird like that if it doesn't if it doesn't take me in it doesn't have to be like and then the spy saw her across the bridge <laughs> he primed his gun it's just got to be interesting it's the same with photo books do you have many photo books i do i do i've got a few of them up there actually um, can I say right now? I've ju- uh, there's, this is a lie. Alan is lying. There's six photo books on One, top two. of his shelf. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Hang on, hang on. Uh, but bear in mind, we are talking to Mister Photo Book over here. We talk. Look, hang on. There's some more over here. Okay, no, no. Good, good. There's some okay, more. I, I, I probably right. have like d- around dotted around about twenty five books. Right. No, that's, that's in, in your opinion. That's probably. That, yeah, that, I that's think like, my mother probably has more. <laughs> yeah, and they're just yours. <laughs> Yes, well, she bought she bought the whole she edition. Bought, she bought the whole edition. <laughs> Can't move them for love nor money. Yeah, um, she has. Yeah, the, do you, I mean, do you do you, do you have lots of movies? Do you find that you need to have? I've got um, Netflix, mate. I've got millions. Yeah, well, well this is, we've been talking about this a lot lately. How you know, photography. You could, you buy a print, you put it on your wall. With with video, it's also just in the ether, and you know you maybe like download or stream something. There's no kind of like physical presence for it. Have you had to uh, let all of your DVDs go? I think mine is still packaged up somewhere, but I actually I collect DVDs of Groundhog Day, so I've got about fifty or so of all the same copy of Groundhog Day on DVD, which are oh, that's been, like, quite uh, meta. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, that, yeah. That... <laughs> it's a burgeoning collection. I've got I've got one. Have you? Okay, yeah, you, you can, can have my. I, I found my DVD collection the other day and I just thought, what a waste of money that was. <laughs> Awful. Yeah. Should have just. Waste the plastic. My, my, my best DVD, but I don't know why we're talking about this now, but I, I remember when Blockbuster went, went down. Oh, man. I, I, was were... at, I was at the one in Oxford and they just had like an entire bin of DVDs for 10, for 10 pounds. But they were just like, look, you either buy them or you don't. You can't you can't start picking and choosing. Right, take them. I was like, all right. So I just took this massive bin, walked off back to my uni house, mm. and was like, mm. everyone, look, yeah. I've got like the Demon Three. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know what that is. And they were like, great, let's watch it. And just I ended up with a, a complete Steven Seagal box set though that was in there, which was not worth it. <laughs> but I, I did I did watch every single one. I used to be quite into martial arts. 
Yeah. Yeah. Back in the day, I had I was beaten up on the tube with uh, an ex girlfriend because she was rude to somebody, uh, and so the the, the man uh, and his uh, friends uh, uh, beat me up and my friend up who were we were out as a couple, um, and um, I decided to uh, become a martial artist, and um, so I got really into Bruce Lee, Steven Seagal. Uh, Mondays I went to uh, Aikido, which is Steven Seagal's. Um, Forte. Mm. Uh, Tuesdays was Taekwondo, um, which I wasn't very good at. It's all to do with kicking. Can you still do it? No. Uh, Wednesdays was Budokan, which is a sort of karate derivative. And then Thursday, Friday, Saturday was Kung Fu. And uh, I got very confused after about a year. <laughs> I turned up at one class, like wearing a you know black skirt, and realised it was I was supposed to be wearing sort of you know some sort of like tight shorts. It was very very confusing to the face, and it's like Boxing Day. <laughs> well, no, I just got obsessed by it uh, again, but only for about a year, luckily. And I realised that I wasn't a violent person. I didn't was highly unlikely to ever upset well, it's not anybody. About violence, is it? No, but it just, just I didn't want to have. That kind of. Um, I was going to say this is why you're so comfortable with people on the street because you could iron out any of them. You no, just- <laughs> no, but you do. You do from actually from the martial arts. You do learn to move uh, well. You move interestingly, especially with the Chinese style, uh, which is more fluid. Uh, you learn to move. Um, discreetly the other thing i also had oh, um deep. i, <laughs> I also i also spent i had a, a really bad job as a customer services representative for a mobile telephone company taking complaints and i learned to speak to angry people from all over the country all day mm. and uh, to be able to um calm <laughs> people down that. was also <laughs> extremely useful um piece of uh, artillery to have as a oh street photographer goodness. Oh, just eating hate and just not letting it like yeah I'm sorry I'm sorry you feel that way <laughs> but let's look at it from this perspective yes um, but a actually really quite handy thing to have is just um, to be able to calm people down very quickly um, but the long and short of it I think if there's ever a problem eye contact and sort of an immediate response honest response is the most important thing when it comes to taking photographs in the street mm. Cool. Do we um, do we uh, start where we finished, or did we finish where we started? I think we've done a bit of both. Yeah, and Matt, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I really very enjoyed insightful. it. I've learned something. Thanks for listening to Candela. You can keep up with future episodes and news on the show on our Instagram at Candela Podcast. That's at C-A-N-D-E-L-A Podcast. We will also be posting photography and cinematography that we like on there. You can also find us on YouTube and Vero.